This week, our executive producer, Adam Gobeski, suggested we watch the 1984 movie Johnny Dangerously, starring Michael Keaton, the crime action comedy that also features Joe Piscopo, and as much of a fan of him as I am, we're going to have to watch The Godfather this week instead. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Cinematic Respect. I'm your first co-host, Jessica Clares. And I'm your second co-host, Charlie Wallace. Uh, Jessica, in honor of the movie that we're watching this week, I wanted to know, because I think the entire world can be separated into different categories. So if you had to say, what type of person are you? Would you say you are a a Sonny, a Tom, a Fredo, or a Michael? Ooh, I think even though it's really boring, I think I'm going to have to go with Tom. Yeah? Yeah, I think I I'm I think Tom. I'd have to go with Tom, too. That's the safe choice, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it really Sorry, is. we could also be a Connie, although I don't think Connie I, is I don't, I don't think well I want to be out. a Connie. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom is the uh, sort of... Straight-laced. Straight-laced, not really in the family sort of guy. Didn't you say he was like German-Irish? Irish or something like that, I think he said like he was German-Irish. Yeah. Not yes. Italian. No, no, not Italian. <laughs> uh, so anyway, our guest chose for us to watch this week the 1972... I usually say the word classic, and it definitely applies here. Classic, The Godfather, which I guess we'll get into a little bit later, but I'm not sure if technically I had watched this one before either. You hadn't. You asked me a lot of questions. (laughs) Uh, But let's get into a little synopsis of the movie the best I can. It is uh, confusing a little bit. I think the plot and characters are a little bit hard to grasp the first time you watch it. I can see that. someone the first time I watched it, but I'll try to do my best. Jessica was there to help me out as we watched it. (laughs) <laughs> on Wednesday, I'll thankfully, play by play. I, I made you pause. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I made I made her pause like five or six times. Like, wait, hold on. <laughs> it's like, how do they know Sonny was going to be there? She's like, just just wait. <laughs> there were a lot of questions I asked along the way that first time too. So my best attempt at a synopsis: uh, Vito Corleone, played by Marlon Brando, is the head of a an Italian crime family in the United States. It's his daughter's wedding. Uh, anybody can come to him with a reasonable request and he's supposed to grant it, uh, although he gets to ask for a favor in return later. So we're introduced to his entire family at this joyous event. There's a son, Santino, Sonny, played by James Kahn, who's the brash, sort of doesn't think too hard about what he's going to do before he does it sort of son. Explosive. There's Fredo, his, I guess, complete opposite end of the spectrum son, sort of a spineless, almost emotional. He doesn't he's, fit. He's, he does not fit, and he's just kind of sad and, and douchey. Oh, yeah. it's it, That's a really hard character, because at first you feel bad for him, and then you're like, oh, see, like even even if I want to be like, oh, I feel bad for you, like, we'll give you a break. You're like, no, you don't deserve it. You're just, you're just kind of a douchebag. Too douchey. Yeah, too douchey for favors. There is the son in quotes tom hagan played by uh, robert duvall mm-hmm. who's a lawyer he's a, a smart guy he thinks things out ahead of time tries to avoid violence um but he's not technically related to the family he's adopted and then finally the main character of the story michael corleone played by al pacino who is the son who's come back from war and from college and who, who doesn't want to belong to the family business. But we see over the course of the entire film that he becomes more and more uh, connected with his family and uh, engrossed in their business. 
And there's also Connie. Don't leave out Connie. Yes, there's Connie, his sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, she's. I, I, I understand the purpose of, of her, her inclusion. You don't get as detailed into, you know, her personality right. and, and right. kind of her strife in life, I don't think, until, until part two, which we're not talking about. But. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, and Michael needs to step up uh, and take over the family business because... Marlon Brando is shot in the street, who he actually later recovers, but this kind of brings him back into the fold. Um, and then eventually, at the end of the movie, he takes over. And the, one of the questions is, is that really, is he really hesitant to do that? Or is this something he kind of wanted all along or was really in him? But anyway, our guest today is Schmelvi. Thank you for being on the show and thank you for picking this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me today. Um, now... Is there any particular reason that you wanted to do this movie? Or was it just that we're like, please, somebody do Godfather? <laughs> yeah. No, that's actually a great, great question. As I was um, just kind of perusing a list of movies and thinking about the ones that I haven't seen yet. And this one jumped out at me because I haven't seen it. And over the years, I've always wanted to. I, you know, it's been one of those movies that occasionally it's on TV or occasionally I'll see it when I'm looking for uh, movies on, on Netflix and I always, you know, have said to myself, geez, I'm going to have to watch that at some point. Like the whole, you know, the whole series of them. I'm kind of a movie guy, but I can't believe that I hadn't watched this one. I thought this was a perfect opportunity to get that done. Right. I So I'm kind of the same way <laughs> as you where, so I'm going to say that technically I did watch it. Although Jessica's going to argue with me on that. I think I was around 14 or 15 and our family was going on a road trip and we actually had this nice gigantic van and in the center console we had a small maybe 10 inch television with uh, a VHS player attached to it so it was three kids going cross country with their parents right so they needed something to keep us busy my parents went to the either library or uh, rental store and tried to get Oh, really great movies that they thought we should see. So I think we watched Lawrence of Arabia. I think this was on. I think The Godfather 2. It was something we watched. So for young kids, they're choosing The Godfather movie? I know. That's why I say technically I've seen it, but I'm pretty sure I was sleeping most of the time. <laughs> or or traumatized. Or traumatized. <laughs> Maybe yeah. you, you just don't remember it. the whole thing out, Charlie. <laughs> it's a good way to keep your kids silent in the back. <laughs> yeah. It's very explicit. <laughs> <laughs> We're calling Vito if you don't knock it off back there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I didn't remember any of it. No, so, nothing. To be it, yeah. fair, I guess I really haven't. But I've seen it several times. I love this movie. Yeah. And luckily, as I said, you were there to help guide me through this experience. I, I, when you were saying earlier that it's, it's sometimes confusing, or at least the first time through, you know, kind of all the characters and how everybody's interconnected. I feel like that... Um, it's very palpable that this was a book before it became a movie. Yes. You know, that, that this was being adapted for the screen as opposed to just being written for the screen. And so it's it's far more intricate and the action really does kind of happen one thing on top of the other thing on top of the other thing. Where I think when, when we got done watching it, you said, wow, it didn't even feel like three hours have gone by and it just had. So they definitely keep it, keep it rolling. I think that's partly because it's based on a book, which obviously they can make it as long as they want. Right, right. So, Shmelvi, what did you expect from this movie the first time you were watching it? So, uh, I expected a, a mob movie because obviously I knew that Marlon Brando was in it. I knew Al Pacino was in it. I didn't know that some of the other kind of big name actors like James Caan and Abe Vigoda and um, Robert Duvall, I didn't know that those guys were in it. So, it was, it was interesting for that to pop up. I think I was expecting a little more uh, forward movement of the story early on 
In fact, one of the notes I even took was that it seems like the 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 wedding scene is taking a while to get oh, to the yeah. end. Um, but actually, something you mentioned at the open that that now is just hitting me that uh, this is kind of the basis for the movie is that it's during the daughter's wedding that they're able to go to the Don and ask requests of him. I didn't understand that. I don't oh, know yeah. if that's why people were going to him and asking for these things. So now all of a sudden, I'm now my mind's spinning since you mentioned that. Like, oh, all right, now that part makes sense. Or, you know, just the opening scene with the guy that we don't know who it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's asking questions or, uh, of uh, Marlon Brando. I, I didn't. I didn't really understand the why until just now, actually. So now it makes it a little more interesting. So I did expect a mob movie. I, ex- I expected some level of um, violence. Uh, and I was actually pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed it, given the age of the film, uh, which I think does speak a lot to the fact that it it is kind of timeless. That's a great place to start out, too, is just that wedding scene is incredibly long. I so I was when I was going to grab clips, I found out that I think that wedding scene ends about 25 minutes in to the movie. Like for any other movie, that could have been a third of the movie. Of course, I mean, in this it's like one sixth of the movie, right? Yeah. It's three hours long, but that's a lot of time to s- spend establishing these characters. But I really liked it. I mean, it, I feel uh, I don't know confident in in defending this part because I feel like it was a really nice way to introduce everybody without it feeling like. Okay, we've got a lot of characters. So now enter this guy. Now enter this guy. Like it felt more seamless than that where you just kind of get a feel for. I mean, before that wedding scene is over, you know that, you know, what kind of guy Sonny is. You know that he's a little explosive. You see him like rip the camera away from the the detectives, the FBI that are out there checking out the cars. You see him, you know, sleeping with one of the bridesmaids. You see, you know what I'm saying? You see what kind of guy Fredo is where he's just kind of sappy. It introduces everybody in this way that doesn't feel super obvious and in your face, but you have definitely a good feel moving forward with with what's going on i thought there were a lot of brothers i i was i was like geez how many brothers are there in this movie they just keep kind of showing up they do they do and i'd forgotten about i made sure to write down fredo for the well see and that's that's fredo's problem fredo's just forgettable you're like oh yeah oh yeah like when he goes away like we were getting a little ahead of Uh ourselves when he goes away because he gets sent to vegas to go learn the business and then you finally see him again at the end of the movie you're like oh yeah what's fredo i forgot about that guy He, he must not be dead. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, because I agree with you, it's uh, it's another one of those scenes that when you actually got through it, you were just surprised at how long it was, even though I don't think it really felt that way. But I think it is actually the perfect way for this movie to, to deal with that. But it was just going back and getting clips and realizing what a huge chunk of the movie that is. W- one of the big things you were talking about is you expected it to be a uh, you know typical sort of gangster movie, right? Based on all of these things that came after it, which were so influenced by it. And- I say, this really cracked the door open. Were there, I don't... Th- at least to my knowledge, there were no mafia family type movies preceding The Godfather. From, from what I read, I think that there were, but the thing that distinguished this was, in certain ways, authenticity a little bit. It had such a huge influence because, for instance, all the brothers didn't have Italian accents, right? Well, because they grew up in America, or even Don Corleone didn't really have an Italian accent to speak of because he'd been there so long. So that's just kind of one of the nice touches or to know how italian families might work in the united states as opposed to italy and just the i guess the sense of of family or the way the culture really worked came through a little bit more and they were interested in trying to find a director who was italian american for that reason so even though mm, you're right it like i can't think of an instance 
before this where there was really something that was just influential or I could really think of saying, oh, this is also a mob movie that came before The Godfather. I can't think of one. One of the things I really like that you said, you're talking about the historical significance. So um, this movie kind of set the tone. It introduced this concept. It was much more authentic. Um, it's funny that I take for granted now, by the time you watch The Sopranos, by the time you're watching any of these other these other things that came after it, um, you know, I just assume that, oh, of course, you know, they have politicians in their pocket or they've got cops on the take or they've got journalists and like whatever and they're patrolling all these things. And it's because of this movie. Like this movie set that up to where now I'm, oh, well, of course that's part of the story. And so going back and looking at this as kind of the the first, I don't know, epic kind of iconic tale that everybody, you know, it took off and like you said, it's timeless. Like people can watch it now and still relate and still, you know, find it believable. Um, that, yeah, it's just, it's at the stage where now looking back at it, I'm like, well, of course that's part of the story. Yeah. And I don't think of it as being surprising where maybe it was for first audiences. And there's so much shorthand now, too, because of this, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to uh, establish necessarily that, you know, things like you're saying, like, well, the cops are in, in their pocket, right? Well, now we know because we've seen The Godfather, right? We know how <laughs> all of this stuff works. <laughs> so exactly. any movie now doesn't can spend like, what, like five minutes? Yeah, unless, establishing what's going on. Whereas this movie had to spend twenty five minutes. Unless you wait thirty it. or forty years before you watch it, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's true. You're like, why are you spending so much time? I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen all the mob movies. Why is this one taking so long to get to this? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I also just being a history dork uh, myself. I really liked um, how they kind of put that in there. I mean, right off the bat at the wedding, you know that Michael is a war hero. Uh, that you're only in like 1945. It's right on the heels of World War II. This is a time for business. Like now that this is over, the United States is now, you know, kind of coming out as a as a superpower. You know, we, we came in and we helped win the war. And so now you have this this time for growth, this time for expansion, this time there's still this feeling of um, coming to America with nothing and making something big, making a dynasty, making uh, things happen and for any of the families. Like you said, the guy that starts off who's a mortician, I mean, he talks about coming to America with with nothing and, and kind of building this and believing in the American dream. And so, I don't know, I feel like a, there's that's part of the focus um, of the movie and, and you feel kind of how business is being done, how important that is. I kept waiting for him to get killed in that first scene. <laughs> I was wondering, is the movie going to come right at me? Or, or how's, how's it going to set up? But no, he was, he was crying at one point. I yes. actually uh, took a note on this that once he started crying, they actually gave him a drink. And I'm like, oh, that, that, there's a good moral of the movie is that mm-hmm. drinking helps crying. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> there's, there's lessons for everyone. <laughs> um, I really liked the the opening scene. I feel like it really established who the Godfather is and what what kind of the expectation of a leader is, is that he's quiet. You know, he does get angry at one point and raises his voice and kind of shakes him a little bit or whatever. A couple of different people who talk to him, but not much. For the most part, he's very controlled. Very he's pragmatic. He's quiet. He's pragmatic. Yes. He's got this cat in his lap, which only made me think of Inspector Gadget. Um, <laughs> he's petting this cat and he's all like evil, you know, just whatever. Yeah, one million dollars. <laughs> exactly. Something like that. <laughs> So, um, but I liked that, like, in his head, in his in his reality that he's constructed for himself of what's moral and what's loyal and what devotion looks like or whatever, is that his, the only problem he has with this, with this mortician coming to him and asking him for this favor is that we've not been friends. You know, you've been polite and whatever, but you've not invited me to your home and our wives aren't close. And, you know, you've not wanted this friendship. Like, this is what like family or this is what friendship is supposed to look like. And so I can do this favor, but I'm not going to until you say that you want, like he basically kind of holds him hostage until he's like, you know, 
be friends with me, Godfather, or I don't remember exactly right, how he says right. it, but something yeah. to that effect. Kisses his ring. Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so recognizes he, him as yes. the as the yeah. Godfather. And so he he's willing to trade vengeance as like a service for for friendship and devotion and for favors in return. Right. You know that that's what this is supposed to look like, and you kind of see that again and again and again then throughout the film. Isn't that even kind of part of the mob? I guess mentality even is that you know you do stuff for us and we'll do stuff for you. Mm-hmm. Now some of that stuff might be we won't kill you or <laughs> we'll give you we'll give you protection perhaps, but mm-hmm. it is kind of a uh, it seems to be a, a, you know you scratch my back I scratch yours quid pro quo yeah absolutely. but but loyalty is the biggest piece of that is that it's the only thing I think that keeps it from being a cold business transaction is that you know going out of your way or doing something whatever is stored away. Like, you know, like these these certain behaviors that in unregular business would be unnecessary or even inappropriate where you're like, that's a little personal, like whatever. No, that's welcomed and encouraged and remembered and honored. Yeah, but only stored away for so long because, <laughs> you know, you could just as easily be the next one whacked even, true, true. You know, even though you may have been loyal all the way along. That comes through with, uh, there's a driver later, right? Polly? Polly, yeah. Yeah. Sonny uh, is the heir apparent. Right to this uh, this crime family, and but he's a little bit quick to anger. He's brash. He doesn't think about the decisions he's making. So one of the decisions he tries to make is Vito gets shot yes. in the street. Right. Yes. So and it was clearly got, a plot. Yep, it's clearly it a, a plot. So mm-hmm. we know it was planned. Mm-hmm. And um, the only person that Sonny can think of that might have actually helped to plot this was the driver who, had who was not there. Sick. At the right. time that Vito was shot. So the, that's one thing to notice. So um, any driver for, you know, the, especially the mob boss is going to be trained, you know, whatever. He's going to be a gunman. He's going to he's going to be capable of helping out. And Polly was out sick. And so Fredo was driving instead, which we right. all know Fredo can't do anything right. <laughs> so um, <laughs> um, and so Sonny is immediately angry. Like, where the hell was Polly? You know, why? Why wasn't Polly here? And so you don't actually know. Like, that's one thing, at least for me, I didn't feel like they were trying to make it obvious one way or the other whether or not Polly was in on it. If he really was sick or if he was part of the plot, but it doesn't matter. That's a good point. You don't really know that even by the end of the movie. Mm-mm. Yeah. It, it never comes out what. What, if any, was their motivation for him to not be there? He might have just been, you know, a victim of bad circumstance. Exactly. He might just be sick. Right. Yeah. But Sonny decides that by process of elimination, who else could it have been, right? It must have been him. But that's one of the situations where, as you're saying, loyalty kind of breaks down, right? Most of the, through most of the movie it holds, but when Sonny's in charge, it's more about just making a decision. Right, I mean, and following I, through and, with it, you know, and all he did was not be there on the right. day that this happened, and so loyalty was thrown out the window for that simple act at that point. I, I, you know, you mentioned uh, um, Fredo and just his ineptness yeah. I, when he pulled when he started to try to pull out his gun to you know <laughs> help in some way. He's kind of fumbling it and dropping it, and uh, it, it just reminded me of Blazing Saddles all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is the hand I shoot with. <laughs> poor Fredo. I know, seriously, yeah, he's, just, he's just a mess. And I, I liked the contrast, like you're saying, Charlie. Like Sonny, Sonny is a reactionary, and so whether or not uh, that was actually a betrayal or any benefit that he could gain from not killing him, like let's say for the sake of argument, Polly was in on it, right? And he could learn something. He could learn which of the heads of the other five families was involved. He could gather some. Nope, none of that's important. We just got to kill him. <laughs> and so he doesn't think big. He doesn't think bigger. And so I feel like the contrast to that, and I'm definitely skipping ahead, but way later in the film, 
when you have Michael talking to Connie's husband, Carlo, um, and he says, I know, like, I know you're responsible for Sonny's death. Like, I know that, that you set him up. You know, don't, don't tell me you didn't. And what's fascinating about that is from the time that Sonny died to the time they're having that conversation is a minimum of four or five years later. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because he, you know, Sonny gets killed while Michael's still in Italy. And this is happening when Connie's baby's being baptized. He, uh, Michael's own children are at least three years old. That's true. You know, that his son is at least three years old. So time has passed and he just patiently waited. He knew that Carlo was involved and he knew that there was valuable information to be gained from that. And he knew that he shouldn't kill him while his father was still alive. There'd be objection and all these things. And he just didn't want to deal with it. So he just waited. You think, you think the, godfather himself would have made the same decision Sonny made with regard to uh, Paulie? I don't. No, I don't think so. I, don't I think, think so. it's, yeah, the sort of thing that was happening while he was in the hospital, right? So it was, it was really be- kind of went to crap because so, he wasn't there. So it was because of Sonny's kind of disposition and personality that that, that particular event mm-hmm. happened. Definitely. Right. A lot of things happen, I think, like during that time period where he's Vito's out of the picture, but you bring up um, you bring up Carlo, and that's funny because I remember at the point where we were watching that scene where Sonny, so Sonny ends up eventually getting shot. Carlo had beaten up his wife Connie, who's yes. the, everyone's sister, and that causes Sonny to get angry and to go and try to visit Carlo and perhaps kill him. But he gets ambushed at this toll booth, mm-hmm. and my question was like, wait, how do they know he's going to be at the toll booth? Doesn't that mean then that Carlo is involved. I made you pause the movie. Mm-hmm. It's like this doesn't make any sense to me. And you're like, just right. wait for it. <laughs> like, somebody like I had, had to, to be on the inside. Yeah, I yeah. had to wait for it too. I was like, come on. Like, aren't you supposed to be doing something? So yeah, it was great how that scene came together at the end. It was like, no, Michael knew. Michael knew and just waited. And that to me was in such stark contrast to his brother. And you could see that Michael's the smart one. Like this is the one, you know, if, he's if, a pragmatist. He's a pragmatist and he's the one who's supposed to be in this role. He is his father. Like if his father was able to build this family, um, build this dynasty, build build this business, and uh, it, it would take a demeanor like this in order to do so. And um, so then now you see Sonny, Sonny couldn't have. Sonny would have blown everything up. It's interesting. I wonder if Michael would have had that same personality had he not been the brother that you know, joined the the military and mm-hmm. went to war and, you know, came back and probably, you know, God knows what he saw there. But, you know, is that part of what made him much more calm and, you know, a strategist in those situations? Whereas, you know, Sonny, I kind of see him as the, you know, the kid that was always fighting the other kids and, mm-hmm. you know, grew up in, in, you know, probably the whole situation where he had to be mean. And, and was that, you know, I don't know if that was as part of, you know, it was just his personality or was it his upbringing? Yeah. Well, Charlie, you pointed out, speaking speaking of Michael being calm, so like kind of the first time Michael's tested with anything involved with his family is right after his father's shot. His father's in the hospital. He's not dead. and um, Which was and, a shocker to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because he shot, I think, five times. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I was like, I, oh, I, God, how did they kill him off yeah. this, at this point? I, I knew how the godfather died, but... Even watching the movie at this time, I was like, oh, he's dead. Like, but he can't be dead because I know he's in the rest of the movie. <laughs> How is this possible? Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. And not to mention that, but he's in the tomatoes, which is right in the menu of the movie itself, which we ended up <laughs> watching a bunch of times. I'm like, is that a dead body in the tomatoes? <laughs> Come to find out later that yes, that actually yes, is yes, a that dead is. body. So, 
So um, when he's in the hospital and, and, and Michael goes to visit him and he realizes what's going on, he realizes that he doesn't have any bodyguards present, that the police are gone, you know, whatever, any guards that he had are gone. And he knows that that means somebody's coming to finish the job. And so he's incredibly bright and calm. You know, in those moments, he really shines. The nurse comes in and he's like, nope, we got to move my father out of here. Like, you're going to help me. Like, we're doing this. He was so clear thinking. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. And so they move him. And even beyond that, he when he sees um, um, the baker and so the baker show up he's like nope this is here you come with me let's go down front we're gonna look like we have guns we're gonna you know he had a plan like immediately um after the the car kind of drives up they see that there's you know guards there still and so the the plot is thwarted and they leave that enzo's hands are shaking he's trying to light a cigarette and he can't he can't work the lighter and michael does it and his hands are completely still yeah he even takes he even takes a beat to look at his own hands or to like notice himself like like Michael actually appreciates mm-hmm. the difference at that moment. Or I think he al- notices, almost even surprises himself that he yeah, was that calm exactly. in that situation. Yeah. But going back to what you said, Shelby, I think yeah, may- maybe the implication is that the war has done something because there's a huge difference between the way that Vito controls the family and the way that we see that Michael is going to, and that's murder, right? But can you think of an instance where Vito actually orders a murder on someone else in the movie? I can't. Um. He orders, let's see, I'm thinking for a second. He does. He, there's he like does. spying involved things. Um, because he, let me think for one moment. Because he so does. an actual murder or, or beatings? Or he ordered beatings. An actual he, hit. He, he ordered beatings for the the guys, you know, the, the, the mortician who's for his daughter's vengeance, whatever. He orders right. beatings right. for them and actually says that murder isn't isn't an eye for an right. eye in this and he's like no your daughter's yeah. alive so that's too much he's right. not averse to right. violence yeah so he, he does that i'm trying to think i swear there's something else though maybe not maybe yeah, not. we can look at it i'm yeah. sure it's easy to look so up but. what i i i you know slight spoiler as i am going to say is that i feel like at the at the end um of the the dawn's life when he and michael are talking at the end um and i feel like those moments are are great this kind of sharing between between the dawn and michael and him saying you know i never wanted this for you I didn't want you to be a part of this, this idea that you go and you sacrifice to provide more for the next generation. And he thought Michael would be that. He does mention that he feels like he's gone soft as he's aged. And so what nobody else in the room has watched it yet. But in watching part two, you kind of see how he in flashbacks, you see how he built it. And he was much more ruthless like Michael is. Ah, initially to that's build interesting. it. I, I, I assumed that he wasn't in The Godfather 2 just because he died in this one. So yeah. now we got another movie we got to watch. Um, <laughs> but I do have the clip where it's actually the, the final scene that uh, Al Pacino and Marlon Brando are in where um, they're just having a father-son chat. I knew that Santana was going to have to go through all this. And Fredo... Oh. I was, oh. and I never, I never wanted this for you. I worked my whole life. I don't apologize to take care of my family, and I refused to be a fool. Dancing on the string, held by all those big shots. I don't apologize. That's my life. But I thought that. But when it was your time that that you would be the one to hold the strings. Senator Corleone. Governor Corleone. Something. I'm not a person of Well. This wasn't enough time, Michael. It wasn't enough time. <laughs> 
We'll get there, Pop. We'll get there. I like, too, that's uh, definitely a nod to the cover art. Oh, yeah, with the puppet yeah, mm-hmm. on the strings. Yeah. I took a note on that. I was like, what's with the, str-, you know, was at the beginning? What's with the with the puppet strings? And I really did have, I had no idea what that even referred to. Yeah, me either. I This was the first time I really picked up. And it wasn't even watching that scene. It was getting the clip <laughs> after watching the scene. I was like, oh, it came yeah. To, yeah. We ended up talking about it afterwards that because, uh, you know, I, I was like, I still don't really kind of understand the puppet strings. But now that. I mean, the, you know, the whole mob mentality, I guess, in general, they're pulling a lot of strings, so that makes sense. But um, the fact that it's referred to specifically in that scene is, um, it's, it's, it's helping bring a lot of things back together for me. There's also this theme about where the family is at the beginning of the movie versus where the family as a whole is going towards in the future. And that's what sets off a lot of this. Yeah. A lot of the problems. If you watch it, um, the action, you know, one thing on top of the other on top of the other. And watching it this time, like taking notes and looking more critically like there's just kind of stuff that i didn't see this feeds to this feeds to this feeds to this and it's all kicked off by this salazzo character um who wants to sell drugs they want to get into the drug trade and that's um because obviously the the mob family and like you said they don't show it but that they're involved in uh gambling and to some extent prostitution um and that you know, so vices they support vice. That but business, but their the business morals are just vice. too high. They're not going down, down the drug path. Yeah, <laughs> and the Godfather wants nothing to do with 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 the drug trade. It doesn't make any difference to me what a man does for a living. I understand, but uh, your business is uh, a little dangerous. If you're worried about security for your million, that the Italians will guarantee it. Oh, are you telling me that the Italians guarantee our investment? I have a sentimental weakness for my children, and I've spoiled them, as you can see. They talk when they should listen. But anyway, Senor Sonotso, I know it's final, and I wish to congratulate you on your new business. I know you do very well, and good luck to you. Especially since your interests don't conflict with mine. Thank you. And I love what is fascinating to me about that clip is that almost all of the negative drama that follows this is simply because Sonny interrupted right then. Yeah. And it wasn't even much. I mean, he says just a handful of words. But from that, Salazzo knows that Sonny was interested and is willing to push the Don out. And from that, obviously, Sonny gets into a position to take revenge and so on and so on and so on. And it just goes all the way. Into the future. Yeah. I mean, over a decade. That's, that's pretty deep, Jessica. It's just the fact that Sonny talked yeah. right there yeah. really is. It showed weakness of the Don. Yeah. It's hard to catch some of those things when you watch it the first time. Oh, I think definitely. There's, you know, I, I mean, that's interesting that I, w- I never would have made that connection, I think, that, you know, that it's little events like that that lead to the next events and, and frankly makes me want to watch it again. Watching it differently this time, because usually I just watch it and it's fun and you're watching with people and it's a good movie and it's just, just well crafted and you can identify with this character, Michael, who starts off in the beginning um, – uh, and I loved the wedding as an intro for a complete outsider being Kay. We haven't really talked about her yet, but, you know, she eventually becomes Michael's wife. But in the beginning here, he's dating her, you know, played very, very well by Diane Keaton. She has an exceptional job. Um, but it's this wide-eyed, complete outsider to the Sicilian, you know, ways, this, this whole family thing. And he gets to explain to her what his perspective is on the family, on the business. And he tells these stories about, you know, making an offer he can't refuse and um, and all of those moments. Um, and... 
And he does so in a way that describes it like this is something that he finds despicable. I hope you're about to play the clip that I, I, I am. with the quote that I, uh, that, I, that I remembered. My father made him an offer he couldn't refuse. What was that? Luca Brazzi held a gun to his head. And my father assured him that either his brains or his signature would be on the contract. That's a true story. That's my family, Kate. It's not me. He's so genuine, too, when he says, that's not me. You know, he, he really believes it, that right. that's yeah. not his path. And, and yet, you know, he ends up not only having that as his path, but he's really good at it. Yeah, and that's the bookend to the end of the movie, too, is where she asks him up front. He's like, you can ask me this one time about the family business. She says, have you ever killed anyone? And he says, no. But the difference here this time is that he's lying to her. So it's it was this complete sincerity at the at the front end and then complete and utter lie at the end. And it's one of my favorite things to go from, you know, if you think about her face during the wedding scenes when she's she's asking a ton of questions at the beginning. You know, she's asking, you know, who these people are, how does this work? And, you know, who's that man talking to himself over there who's Luca, you know, <laughs> who's amazing. <laughs> I love him. He's so loyal. Um, but, you know, she's asking these questions and she has this just this innocent face. And at the very end of the movie, the very last scene is you seeing her face kind of with a similar innocence with the door closing across it. And it's just like, and you couldn't have gone to more polar opposite. It's just the descent of Michael's character. Kay is supposed to be the stand in for us. Yes. The audience, right? Like, we're the ones who don't understand what's going on here, right? And it's that very last shot. It's like, we're getting shut out of her. Or maybe, actually, I wonder about that last shot because- She's sitting on the opposite side of the door, and we're on the, we're inside. Well, it closes, right? yeah. So I don't know what that's, do you have any ideas of what maybe that's trying to say? I, I guess I just felt like it was maybe a little bit through Michael's eyes of of the choices he's making. You know, he's choosing. You see him standing there all slick. I love how he got shinier as the movie went on. Right. He went from having this very kind of plain complexion and there's nothing in his hair and it's just more plain clothes. And he got shinier. His hair is now slicked back. He's wearing um, like like almost like a silvery gray suits with sharp pinstripes and his shoes are polished and he just he gets a shine to him. More jewelry, things like that. As, Once he started to yeah. get that taste of money and power, then it, it took off for him. I think for Michael, it's not so much an enjoyment of the money in and of itself, because I think the way it for him started, right? He he came in to this position of, of, of getting back into the family business because he sees he's the only person who can handle it. It starts off with that ability to, you know, use the, the uh, lighter, you know, to light Enzo's cigarette and noticing that his hands don't shake. But then, you know, he gets punched in the face. His jaw is clearly broken Ugh. i mean clearly broken we wondered all throughout the movie what did he actually take a punch and or was that just really <laughs> that good a makeup i don't know it was impressive <laughs> but um but he goes from that and so the scene where he's where his you know his face is all broken but he's sitting in the room with tom and with sunny and they're talking about kind of what what's to be done um you know we, we can't let this stand like we've got to we got to do something but they don't want to cause war between the five families and all, all of this issue all these issues and Michael watches Sonny. He can see that Sonny's explosive and that he's not thinking. And he can see that Tom isn't really a member of the family, so Tom can't 
Tom can't do it. And he's the lawyer, you know, and so he has to kind of keep his hands clean anyway to be useful. And Fredo, of course, is out of the question. Like, Fredo's not even there. Fredo's not even part of it. And it's even funny. Um, Forgot about Fredo at that exactly, point. Exactly. <laughs> forget about Fredo. And there's even a point at which, um, is it Tom that says something like, you know, or I'm a, as much of a son to him as you and Michael. He says it to Sonny. No mention of Fredo. Mm-hmm. Again, like, it just yep. again and again. Fredo's just <laughs> left out of everybody's minds. Um But Michael, I think in that moment, sitting there, this is when he realizes, like, I'm the only one that can do this. And so it comes from this feeling of of utility and, like, taking care of the family. He's got to protect the family. Yeah. He truly loves his father. I don't think any of that is fudged. I think he adores his father. So he's doing this kind of like, all right, I have to do this. I'm the only person who can take care of it. And then it morphs. As his father fades more and more out of the picture and he really gets in there, now it's something different. But he, he... at least can kind of feel somewhat justified getting tangled back up in it as opposed to being like, I've just completely done a 180 and decided that I love all this violence and whatever. It's like, no, no, I had to. Right. I had to step exactly. in. They right. needed me. That's right. the excuse he uses yeah. the, the whole thing. It reminded me quite honestly um, of, of Breaking Bad mm-hmm. when he keeps saying like, oh, I had to because I was sick and I had to earn money, you know, otherwise how would I, you know, whatever. So we had this justification of like doing this this right thing, doing this whatever. And it was crap. He loved it. But and in that's it. But in his own mind, that was the justification. That was the justification. I feel like that they I mean, you can say they they stole that or whatever you want to say from the Godfather. But I mean, I feel like that was Michael's justification as it was like I my hands were tied. Yep. Do you think that this was in Michael all along? Do you think that it's just something that eventually came out? Or do you really think that he changed over the course of the movie? Or are we just seeing like him accepting who he really is? Well, like a nature versus nurture question. Right, almost. exactly. Yeah, I personally think that it, I think nature is a stronger influence than nurture. Mm-hmm. So even though I asked the question earlier, you know, could it, you know, was he not in that personality and that's why he went to you know the military and everything but i actually do think that this was in his in his personality all along i think that he probably even knew it at a young age which could be i'm just speculating now which could be why he decided to go toward the military and toward college and you know away from those types of things because maybe it scared him that he knew that about himself maybe he was self-aware about that early on in his life yeah i hadn't thought about that that's actually a a good point why did he go in the army why did he go away to college when there's so much pressure for him to be there right and you're you're right it's i think he maybe saw this in himself the whole time well i think that and i think also from the the conversation that we just listened to between uh, michael and and Vito that his father allowed him to do something else as well like he said I you know I knew that Sonny would have to deal with this and maybe even Fredo and I love even just the way he kind of like Fredo maybe even Fredo Fredo, and just kind of like says it again and kind of like eh, you know almost gags a little bit yeah kind of like eh Fredo you know (laughs) that's a whole whole other thing you know (laughs) that guy but um but you know I never wanted this for you and so he was probably given more leeway to do what he wanted as opposed to what the family wanted because this was like the you know you have you have so many sons so that somebody gets a shot to get out i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah is michael the youngest middle yes. oldest he's the he's the baby he's the baby oh, okay yeah. okay i didn't know that um but there's there's an argument that he has with fredo later when fredo says like i'm your big brother like this is not fair or whatever that you kind of are calling the shots and so should have been me, Fredo. That w- that should be in that. Position. Should be taking over once Sunny. Yeah. Once Sunny died. Also, just side comment. This has nothing to do with anything. But just how many freaking times did they shoot Sunny? Like, holy crap! Right. I think he oh, was yeah. shot like 
80 times something like that it was apparently bonkers. it was pretty expensive shot too even though it was out in the middle of nowhere just making all those bullet holes in the car oh, really? and the makeup <laughs> and effects and stuff yeah. yeah i guess just maybe the actual physical process of shooting for however many i mean because there was hours a series of tommy to guns it. and yeah, yeah. craziness it, it was another one that was shocking to me it was you know like these are the main characters the big actor names and then all of a sudden they're they're dead. You know, they're dead. And I'm just like, what? Uh, you know, how does... But it all makes sense when you get to the end to see that progression that Michael makes and some of those, you know, big life-changing moments that kind of lead to that. I think we'd be uh, remiss not to talk about what for me was the most affecting scene in the movie, which was the assassination scene in the uh, Italian restaurant. So Michael has decided that, uh, so he's got punched in the face by the cop who's also on the take on the from take, yep. the Tatalia family. family. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Salazzo is also at the scene. And there, Michael is shown up under the premise that he's going to make peace in this time where his father is in the hospital. Um, but he doesn't know what's going to happen. Maybe they're going to try to assassinate him. So he set up a plot uh, where he's going to kill the police officer and Salazzo. So there's a gun in the back of the restaurant behind a toilet and he he shows up and I think it's just a wonderful design choice that it, the whole place is set up in such a way where he has to make the decision. Like, is he going to stay where he is and then eventually go back through the door he came in or is he going to go the exact opposite direction and go and pick up the gun and then come back? And even knowing how the scene had to end, I I was really on the edge of my seat during yep. that whole thing. Right. I felt it. Me too. I was like, is he is he going to take that route? You know, they explained to us even the plot beforehand. So you know exactly what he's supposed to do. You know exactly what their plan is. But you still just don't know. You know, you can almost see it in, uh, you know, it's probably just fantastic acting, but you can almost see those wheels spinning in his head of, you know, okay, they're clearly here for these reasons. Um, so everything is going exactly what we hoped and I'm not getting whacked. And, you know, and he's kind of wondering to himself, do I continue on with what our plan is? And of course he makes, he makes that decision. And it's a, it's a major plot point in the movie. Cause that, that's the first time Michael really does anything significant, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Before, he, he has nothing, no part of the family business till that right, moment. Right. Before that, he makes decisions that suggest that maybe you know he's on board like he says that he's going to kill them like he agrees to the plot to begin with well he came he up goes, with the plot yeah he came up yeah exactly he didn't right. agree he, he came right. up with that's the right plot. he's a strategist he's a strategist he sat there and calmly describes and i loved the difference of you know james Kahn kind of pacing around the room with his ridiculous like broad shoulders <laughs> like charlie said he always looks uncomfortable in clothes that was the comment charlie <laughs> said to me at the afternoon i'm like oh my gosh that is what it looks like he yeah. looks uncomfortable he, it's like dressed. he wants to take his clothes just just rip, rip it all off, off. <laughs> like every moment exactly but he's marching around the room he's antsy he's you know whatever and and michael is in his chair, he's kind of reclined back he's calm he speaks softly he explains the whole plot he says he's gonna kill them then I'll kill them both. <laughs> hey, what are you going to do? Nice college boy, huh? Didn't want to get mixed up in the family business? Huh? Now you want to gun down a police captain? Why, because he slapped you in the face a little bit? Huh? What do you think, this is the army where you shoot him a mile away? You got to get up close like this, and bing, you blow their brains all over your nice side relief suit. Come here. Mwah. You're taking us very personal. 
Tom, this is business, and this man has taken it very, very personal. Where does it say that you can't kill a cop? Come on, Mikey. Tom, wait a minute. I'm talking about a cop that's mixed up in drugs. I'm talking about a, a, a dishonest cop, a crooked cop who got mixed up in the rackets and got what was coming. That's a terrific story. We have newspaper people on the payroll, don't we, Tom? They might like a story like that. They might. They just might. It's not personal, Sonny. It's strictly business. Now, I love that. I love that whole scene because I think it gives you a, a really clear idea of how he's made a choice um, to to get involved. He hasn't actually pulled the trigger yet, right? But he's made a decision. He planned it out. He had to think about that, but he didn't come with that sitting he's there. Made, he's made the mental decision by that point, right? But the actual physical act of making the decision is that scene later. So it's interesting this progression from first realizing, you know, with the lighter, like oh, and helping his father is like, well. I feel like I'm in, I'm capable of doing this to making that plan. Like I'm definitely going to do it to the actual point where he goes through with it. And I just, sorry, going to jump right into another clip. And this is right before the assassination happens. So there's some, some Italian in it, um, but we'll talk about that afterward. When did you start? You come to find one, you and me. And we're going Steve Saria, si deve finire. That's it. So no dialogue, but yeah. this, the sound design right there is I love it. It's amazing. I love everything actually about the restaurant scene. Um, I think it was brilliantly shot because it gets um, there were a couple of choices. So uh, Italian is spoken several times in the film and almost every time there are subtitles and they didn't subtitle anything right, in the right, restaurant. Not that time. And I think it was intentional. It was like, you don't need to know. In fact, I don't want you to know because I want you looking at their faces, specifically right. Michael's and watching. Like you said, you feel like you see his wheels turning because you zoom in really close in his face and you watch his eyes flick around, flick around, flick around. And everything that he talked about with Clemenza when they're when they're, you know, he, Michael's made the plan. But Clemenza's actually, you know, been in this a long time. He's been with his father a long time. He's actually done the killings. And and so he's he's helping him out. And he tells him, he said, what you want to do is you want to come back and you want to come back guns blazing. Right. He, you know, he goes, don't make mistakes. Do two in each of their head. He's like, bring your arm down by your side and just drop it out of your hand. People will still think you have it. You just walk out. You don't run. You just you just walk out. Why you know, did whatever. he need to drop it? Um, I, I think so, just. I don't know. Yeah, because I, I mean, me. I remember them. I remember he, him telling him that, that you just drop it when you leave. Yeah. But. I mean, they're the special fingerprints are all yeah. over it. And well, well he, he taped it. He taped a, the button. Oh, that's right. That's right. You can't get the tape. fingerprints yeah. on that's it. That's true. Well, still, you couldn't why? in 1940, whatever. <laughs> Throw it in the river. I mean, yeah. we've we've all seen other mobster movies. Why didn't they just <laughs> take a know. cue from those? No, but I mean, yeah, yeah you're right. I, I, it didn't really come across to me why he would just drop the gun in the middle of the restaurant. Yeah. That's what he told him to do. But yeah. it's like that he, he and he even says, like, you're, you should ask to go to the bathroom and, it, you know, try to make it. Yeah, make don't sure just that, get up and go or don't yeah. just don't tell them you're going. You need to ask. Almost like, you know, the more you're polite to them, the more they're going to let their guard down, the more chance there's going to be that this works. 
And it, he doesn't do any of that. They kind of chat. And once he realizes that this, you know, this is going to go, like you said, roughly how they had planned, he, he kind of settles down and, and he doesn't. He's just like, I have to go to the bathroom. Yep. Uh, can, can I can I go to the bathroom? You know, he changes it, but he's he's edgy. Like you can see them. You can see Salazzo in particular kind of shift uncomfortably. And that when he comes back, he sits down again. And then that's where that scene. And I loved I loved the sound of the subway. Yep. I loved the Italian. You know, I loved it. The whole thing, because it just allowed you to focus on his face and the like just what must be just a crazy crescendo of anxiety right before you make this decision. And just how all of the sound in there and the choice not to have the subtitles because maybe Michael's not even paying attention. Maybe he's, it's, it's all in his head and all of the stuff that's going on right before he makes that decision. And I think, I think just for that scene, like this movie's worth watching. Totally. Like if you just watch that like scene would be enough for me, besides the fact that it's fantastic around the board after that. As well. He didn't take the advice and put two in the head of each of them though. But no, he didn't. He was yeah. sure it, it didn't matter. We really can matter forgive him. It's the first time. That's, yeah. <laughs> first timer, whatever. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was... I thought it was interesting, again, the movie choices like throughout this whole film that um, with the violence that's in it, that they let you see people die. And I feel like a lot of the time in even the movies that came after it, shows that came after it that, that you know, underscore violence or include a lot of violence, it'll pan away or it will cut short. And it's like, no, you sit there while the cop like chokes on blood. Um, but I mean, to, to kind of watch this unfold and he stands there and he sees it, like you see him hesitate there longer because he's also taking it in and watching it. You're with mm-hmm. him while he's yeah. digesting that. And then he walks out. I mean, if you think I'm trying to think now how many different people you see. I mean, you get to see two different people garroted. <laughs> right. Several yeah. people shot. Which is fairly gruesome. Yes. Oh, yeah. The, and, and honestly, I forgot how long the Luca dying scene is. Yeah. I forgot how long that is. It was just and, and the second time when, you know, the other person who gets garroted is Carlo. And maybe that I focus on that, too, because for me, I feel like suffocation would be like one of the worst ways to go. So mm-hmm. I, I fixate on it as opposed to the other the other ones. But um, like the, you know, with Luca, he's got you know, uh, a knife in his hand, like into the bar, like while he's being strangled. And then with Carlo, um, just the, the kicking out the, the windshield, like while he's yeah, you know, right, being pulled right. back seemed so like carnal and real. You right. know what I'm saying? It was just like, it, you kind of like breathe deep while watching. You're like, okay, I can still breathe. We're yeah. good. <laughs> Somebody getting suffocated is not going easy. So there's going to be thrashing and, yeah. and other things. So it does make it feel a little more actual. Something was mentioned earlier about um, Michael asking, actually it was on the clip where Michael asks, you know, why can't a cop be killed? And it's like, uh, you know, up until that moment in just mobster history in general, the cops weren't killed. It was just, uh, you know, against the rules. And it was like, you know, all of a sudden he's the one that changed that for mob mentality going for. Now I realize it's, you know, uh, it's not actual events, but, um, you know, it's, Going forward in the mob families, you know, killing a cop as long as they were a dirty cop and so forth, all of a sudden became okay. Right. He changes all of the rules and they don't want to do drugs, right? But eventually the whole family is kind of brought into that because of all the events. And, you know, Vito doesn't kill people, not nearly as much anyway. And Michael's like, well, this is how I'm operating. Right. That's step one. Kill all the people you want to kill. But when he's talking with Clemenza again before the before the shooting before he's going to kill Salazzo and the cop. And 
um, I, like I said, like, the only comic relief I feel like is in this movie is Clemenza, just because he, he's very genuine and he's not guarded. He's just, you know, kind of out there. And so he's like, he goes, eh, don't feel bad. This has to happen every couple every of years. Every five years. <laughs> every five years, yeah. ten years, something like you that. Know, this kind of thing got to happen every five years. Oh, you're years. right. It's, you I, know, we got we to gotta purge the bad blood. You know, he just kind of says it. Yeah, yeah. it kind of felt like a throwaway, but you're right, too. Maybe that there is a little bit more of the history of that, and maybe it's not just Michael, but. It was like this, and it was specific that, you know, this kind of thing got to happen every five years, and it's been 10, you know? So it was like, (laughs) because it's been 10, that's why it's going to be so much worse this time around. Yeah, Yeah, wow. And he just is so casual about it, like, eh, eh, it's good. Yeah. I love the color palette. I think that the costuming and the, the choice of the color palette gives it a timeless feel. It makes it feel like you're watching a period piece, and it doesn't matter when it was filmed. Yeah, we actually, we wondered when it, we, you know, I, I asked out loud during the movie, when, when does this take place? We were like, you know, cause is it the twenties, thirties? And I guess you can look at the costumes and the cars and probably if, if you know history, you'd, you'd figure that out. But it was really interesting to me to know when it was, I think it was 1945. Five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think they say it spans from 45 to the early fifties. I wondered that as well. Mm-hmm. How long, uh, how much duration passed? During the movie, obviously, you know that it's years, but, you know, a new scene would start up and I and I would ask myself, I wonder how much time has passed since that last thing we just saw. And it wasn't it wasn't readily apparent, uh, apparent to me. So at times I was a little confused as to how much certain things had a relation to the thing previously yeah. to it because it could have been several years in yeah. between. I think to me, the biggest hop is that when Michael comes back from Italy and Kay asks him, how long have you been back? And he said, uh, a year, no more than that. That's right. And then kind of the next hop and the next big hop you see is when he's going to be godfather to Connie's baby and he has a three-year-old and he and Kay are clearly married. Right. So right. you're like, well, at least like three, four years have passed since the last, you know, like there's <laughs> these big, big hops, just like what you're talking about. Um I love the color palette. I like that it feels timeless. I like that. Uh, I feel like the color palette was perfect to show this kind of immediate post-war time and then go straight into Italy and you can use the exact same color palette. And yeah. you're now in this more rural village, you know, you see um, kind of mountains and grasses and these like dirt little paths or whatever that these people walk day in and day out and it immediately fit between the two. You didn't have to shift. Yeah. Um, and I really, I really liked that. And the entire time in Italy, it just, I don't necessarily know from the perspective of the writer why this was so important, but I think as a just watching it and just kind of letting it wash over you to kind of show maybe what Michael would have been like if he was in his father's shoes. Now, not being in the U.S., but now being in Italy and sure, yeah. what he kind of would have done or wanted. or I wonder how much Michael spent time in Italy prior to that. I mean, Oh, that's a good point. Clearly, he went there because he you know, had to go into hiding after the, right. the restaurant event. But I, obviously, he had been in America his whole life because that's why he didn't have an Italian accent. But, you know, was he at least familiar with Italy prior yeah. to that? Well, and where was he in the war? Right. Because we do yeah, have that point. one interesting scene where he's walking with his two bodyguards and the American GIs come by and then the Italian guy is complimenting them or like yelling at them, like, I guess, positive things. Yeah. And it kind of reminds you like, oh, yeah, Michael, this isn't where Michael's from, right? <laughs> like he was one of these American GIs not too long ago. Yeah, very, very recently. Yeah. And I mean, the largest concentrations of U.S. soldiers in Europe, if he was in Europe, were France- Eventually, you know, Germany and Italy. I mean, there was a lot of a lot of people lost in Italy. Um, and so I'm just curious if maybe he was there under that, in that context. Right. Yeah. 
I thought about it after we watched it too, and I think, yeah, maybe that is the reason for the Italy scenes was just to kind of show what his life could have been like or might have been like without all of the stuff that was going on in the United States with his family, right? Oh, he he gets a wife, right? And they're having a fun time and she's showing him how to drive. And then we did talk about too that well, they're planning on going back mm-hmm. to the United States. Yes, so he wasn't were. planning on staying there, but yeah. And then there's the difference of the same color palette, but so much brighter outdoor scenes, right? Even the scenes where they're eating are outdoors and that's like a good compliment to like earlier at the wedding right or when they're at the family via or whatever with the tomatoes or that yeah. the house that they're it's sunny like, and it's outside right. versus so these darker the, inside yep, scenes exactly yeah. so that's those are like the family peaceful scenes and then all the stuff where they're huddled inside in this dark room is the you know plotting and business Right, because they had to get on the mattresses or what's the... Go to the mattresses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. go to the mattresses. Go to the mattresses. Right. Yes. And everything is so separate, right? It's like, this is all the business stuff and then families out here and they're doing their own thing. And there's just these scenes where kids run through, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like, they don't care about the kids, right? They, they talk about family all the time. And they, I mean, I guess they love the children or whatever. They love but them. as far as the movie's concerned, they're just accessories, right? Yeah. Kind of. I Wife mean, and the kids, they just... I They're think, there. I don't know. So I, I actually wrote it down. One of the things in the opening sequence with the Godfather um, talking to the like on the day of the wedding when people are coming to him asking for mm-hmm. favors, he says, "A man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man." And so it's clearly incredibly important, and having lots of children is clearly very important, and caring about them and providing a better future for them, not necessarily spending time with them directly. Though right. he does spend a lot of t- considerable amount of time with his grandchildren, and I found it interesting that after he became well enough. To to come home after his multiple many gunshot wounds when he came home the entire family is there in all of its screaming crying glory yeah, like there right. are there are small children and they're you know they have hand-drawn cards for him and everybody kisses him and there's babies crying and there's whatever because everybody's there right okay find, you are you are right i'd forgotten about a lot of those scenes i find it funny jessica that you mentioned about how family is important and i actually wrote down why are there so many freaking crying children <laughs> in this movie <laughs> i think it was another uh, that was another sound design thing which was really interesting because it was always this moment before some disaster happened yes. usually where they'd have a child crying yeah. like before sunny goes out and gets murdered like his kids are crying there's mm-hmm. another time when i guess after Vito gets shot yeah. i think where we see sunny again with his kid who's crying or at the uh the very, baptism, very end oh uh, yeah right the at baptism. the very end yeah. Yeah. With the, crying. the kid crying yeah. so it's a lot of these like sort of intense sounds to indicate that something something's about about to happen, to happen. um i also just want to comment and i feel <laughs> i feel bad but so with Michael going to, to Italy and he meets Apollonia and clearly is just in love with her and is just struck by this. And, and he takes his time courting her and it's all above board. It's with the, in the presence of her family and all of this thing. And so, um, you know, they're together and, and you think he really loves her. But I definitely get the impression that she would have been not dissimilar from his own mother, where when on all the scenes in New York and the wedding and, and, and the things that follow, his mother doesn't ask any questions and is not at all concerned what the business is, what's going on. That's she is fine with the stuff they have and does not question at all how they got there. And you get the impression that Apollonia would have been the same way. Like, it would have been like, I'll take care of this, and this is yours over there. Like, you be sweet to me, and we're cool. Kay is so not like that. Kay wants <laughs> to know what the hell's going on. And she's an American. She's an American. <laughs> yeah. And so this stark contrast in, in in the women, I thought, was, you know, I felt a little bad for women. <laughs> but, but I you know, like, that you have no need to know. Yeah, I was like, the Italian women are like, yeah, you know, you're going to have this weight that you have to make, and... 
you know, having lots of stuff and money is a good thing. So just don't ask the questions. Just don't ask. Yeah. You don't want to know. Like, you can't live with it. Almost. Then that's fine. Yeah. yeah. So one one piece that we that we haven't talked about yet um, is is kind of the the culmination um, at the end there during the baptism scene and when Michael you know re- resets the clock so to speak and and decides to start from scratch and so it comes immediately on the heels of his father's funeral uh, the juxtaposition of the of death and birth and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you know do you renounce Satan is like oh gosh yeah. the greatest it's like one of the greatest things is this toggling back and forth with you know him doing this supposedly holy sacred thing while he's also having all of these people right killed. At the, it, exactly at the time that all of this evil is actually happening and like you were saying charlie with the sounds like you have the organ building in the background you have the baby crying you have the echoiness of the church and then you have gunfire and just back and forth and yeah. it's it, it, it's almost cliche now, but I feel like it's cliche because of this scene. Like, this is kind of the original, and then things that have spun off it since then make it feel like more like a cliche to, to put these things against each other. So, we could go on and talk about The Godfather for a long time. True. We probably, we already have. probably would, but I mean, <laughs> we'd be at it for three plus hours. Probably at least three. <laughs> probably <laughs> the running time of yes. the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, two hours and 57 minutes. Two hours. And, okay. <laughs> it's not three hours. You have, you have three whole minutes. You can do whatever it is you want to do. You want to go to the bathroom? <laughs> if you're fast, that's that's your call. <laughs> so Shmelvi, you've watched this movie finally and you've done us a favor by coming on the podcast. So you've bettered yourself by seeing something that I guess every movie fan should see. So now what do you think that everyone out there listening should experience? Uh, That's a fantastic question. Um, So I'll go kind of obscure. Uh, So there's a movie called Escanaba in the Moonlight uh, with Jeff Daniels. And and it was, it's one of those movies that it's kind of set up as a deer hunting movie, but it's not a hunting movie at all. It's a movie about guys that are telling stories to themselves and this story that over the years has gotten so outrageous. And if you remember that this is throughout the whole movie is a story being told and therefore uh, lots of lying and lots of embellishment is happening, that really sets up kind of some of the really kind of strange things that happen in the movie. So probably not for everyone, but it's one that uh, me and my family watched Every year for many years, actually, just because of being deer hunters in Wisconsin. But uh, it's a it's a fun movie. It's it's out there, though. So I'm from lower Michigan, and that's also where Jeff Daniels is from. So he's really big into contributing back to Michigan. And he's made a theater there. But of course, he would make a movie about people going hunting up in the UP. You yep. Know? yep. So I, I'd seen the stage play of that actually when it uh, came nearby to me. But I haven't seen the movie. So that's a good recommendation. I want to go see see how it was handled there some good characters in that movie oh, yeah. too oh yeah definitely um so i was trying to think of something that involves family but this def- this movie definitely doesn't involve family in the same way <laughs> i just saw a movie the other week called the big sick which is oh yeah uh, i saw i saw previews for it but i haven't yep, seen it it stars camille nanjiani and it was written by him and uh his wife emily and it's about um him meeting his wife falling in love and then she falls into a coma for 10 days and it's about the fact that he can't marry her he's broken up with her he can't marry her because his family's from pakistan and they have arranged marriages so they're trying to arrange a marriage for him so he can't even tell his parents that this woman exists but then also having to meet her parents for the first time in the hospital oh my played by ray romano and holly hunter and just 
that whole experience and the relationship developing as she's in a coma, but also <laughs> his relationship with his family and then his relationship with this, what will maybe become a new family Yeah. <laughs> while she's not even there. I, I think it's wonderful. I think it kind of starts off with you thinking it's going to be just a rom- romantic comedy, but it's so much about family and the interactions. Um but in a very different way than this movie is, actually. Is it going to make me cry? I'm a crier. So. Oh, it definitely will make you oh, cry. All right. Yeah. People have said it makes them laugh and cry at the same time through the whole thing. Because he's a stand-up comedian, so there's a lot of scenes with stand-up comedy through the whole thing. And hmm. Awesome. That sounds yeah. really good. Yeah, you should go see it. It's still in theaters as of... I'm sure it will st- still will be when this episode comes out, too. So. Oh, so it's current. Then. It's current. Oh, yeah. yeah no, yeah. It's, it just came out. People like it. It's a Judd Apatow movie. Well, oh, see, now, right. and now, and now you have weekend plans. <laughs> See, we just helped you out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, and then I'm I'm torn, so I'm I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a multi kind of uh, recommendation, which obviously there's so many things that The Godfather then has in turn inspired. And so we've mentioned Goodfellas, we've mentioned The Sopranos, we've mentioned these things. And one other one that I definitely got that feeling of um, kind of family or or that mafia family mentality is also from a, another HBO series called The Wire. So each season, it does kind of the uh, similar characters, but from a different perspective. But for the first two, you definitely have this family um, as it morphs into, at that point, I believe it's in the early 2000s. It's taking place in Baltimore in the early 2000s. And so to see kind of what that looks like through history, I feel like movies like The Godfather set up the depth of characters and the, you know, playing vice against respect and loyalty and all of that, that mix um, in a lot of those. And especially in a series, too, you can really go deep into that character development and really kind of, you know, (laughs) feel the just kind of the mob movie in general when you have a series. I'm always impressed with series like um, The Wire and um, The Sopranos even, where you have so much poetic light, like you're saying, you can go deep, you can do all these things because you can, you can continue to talk about them. And, and it's a, it can be a challenge because you don't know how long your show is going to be on the air and you don't know exactly right. whatever. But I think sometimes it gives people just enough rope to hang themselves where they run out of ideas mm-hmm. and they don't really know where to go with their characters. So I was, I'm always impressed when people do it successfully. That by the time you get to the end of the series, you don't hate it. <laughs> Right. You know what I mean? You still like these characters and they've developed and they've changed and they've morphed and a lot of times, but it's it's still true to the original premise. I don't know. And I feel like some of those shows are, are like, I mentioned Breaking Bad earlier yeah. as well. Like they're all very, they hold true to kind of their initial concepts. Right. So Shmelvi, thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks for having me. We were really glad to be able to get to this. I was so jazzed when I found <laughs> out that we were going to be able to watch watch The Godfather because I'm like, who are we going to find that hasn't seen it? I was, I was actually excited to be able to watch it for... A purpose. So it, oh, yeah. uh, I was really excited about that. And it was fun sitting down with people. And I, I thought maybe I had seen some, you know, a minute here and there, a few minutes here and there on TV. It turns out as I watched it, nothing. I did. Rem- I remembered absolutely nothing. So I definitely had not seen any of it before before this time around. Have you seen? The, you haven't seen The Godfather 2. I've not right? seen part two yet. No. Nope. All right. Maybe in a year or maybe sometime in the future, we can, we can have you back and then we can all watch that one. Sure. That'd be yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's so good. I'm so excited. I'm pre-excited for part two. I almost wanted to go straight into it, but it's like, uh, we should probably wait. Yeah, there's another two hours and 57 minutes that, you know, we're going to have to Actually, it's longer. Oh. The Godfather Part 2 is even longer, I think. I can't remember, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it's longer. I just meant how long we'd have to talk about it afterwards. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's another 10-hour time commitment. I mean, I like you guys, but not that much. (laughs) 
that wraps it up. Thanks so much for joining us. We had a great time. And be sure to catch the next episode where we're uh, going to discuss another pop culture gem. Hope you really enjoyed it. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram to hear us discuss more movies and television shows that you really should have already been watching. It was, I I, I really liked how it was played. Like Marlon Brando did an exceptional job. One best actor that year, actually. Yeah. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Plus he did with cotton balls in his mouth. So kudos. You know, I (laughs) always wondered, is that exactly what he did? He just. Mm -hmm. There's cotton balls balls shoved down in his jowls. Yeah. 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 Um, So uh, interesting trivia about the acting was that. So Marlon Brando won that year and then didn't show up to get his award. Oh, he didn't. Yes, because he had somebody of Native American descent come and accept it for him because he was upset at the way that Native Americans have been treated in cinema. Oh. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, wow. he had someone else come and accept his best political power play there. Yeah. Interesting. And additionally, Al Pacino was nominated. So three people from this movie were nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. So there was uh, James Caan, Robert Duvall, and Al Pacino were nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And Al Pacino didn't show up because... He didn't think he should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Uh-oh. <laughs> right? Yeah, he has more yeah. screen time. He does. I think overall than Marlon Brando does. Not yeah. to mention, kind of I snub. mean, he when you get right down to it, he is the main character. Right. Yeah. He is. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of surprising. Yeah, and then huh. none of them won anyway. But <laughs> Who did? Uh, I wrote that. So Joel Gray for Cabaret. And I've never seen Cabaret. I haven't either. But, hmm, I've seen the I mean, play. I, yeah. I don't want to talk down to it and say it wasn't as good because I haven't seen it. But maybe it's an amazing performance. But, I mean, against those three, that's that's been, pretty amazing. Been, that maybe maybe they just couldn't decide who they wanted to give it to of the three and so just ace themselves out because there's too many.